It's playoff time, big stakes and bigger promotions. It's time to hammer the over and score some cash. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving you a chance to lower the over-under on a featured playoff game. All players who place a bet on the featured basketball game will have a hand in lowering the over-under on the game. That's right, for every 1,500 players who bet the over on the selected game, we'll drop the over-under by one point. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable, so you can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN when you sign up to hammer the over. For every 1,500 people that bet the over in the featured game, the line will decrease by one point. Yes, this is your chance to improve the odds of hitting the over. So tell your friends and family this is a team effort. Hammer the over and improve your odds of doubling your money. That's promo code THPN for a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. Restrictions apply. Maximum $25 wager, one per customer. Offer ends on 5-23-21. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you as always by the Hockey Podcast Network. My name is Nick Berlansky. I'm joined as always by Nick Horwat. And Horwat, stop me if you've heard this before. The Pittsburgh Penguins fall in Game 1 in overtime. I hope it sounds familiar, because that is now how they have started the last three postseasons, including two of three the New York Islanders. The Penguins, of course, falling 4-3 to the New York Islanders on Sunday afternoon in Game 1 of the 2021 Stanley Cup playoffs. We're going to unpack all of that and more, but before we do that, Horwat, how are you doing today? Uh, it sounds all too familiar. I'm doing as peachy as it can be. We're both very tired today, everyone. We apologize now. <laughs> um, and if my voice sounds cracky a little bit, I was... I was again at a bar, but I was by myself because uh, Megan had to work and I don't know how to watch games at my apartment yet. So I was <laughs> yelling to... and screaming with the, with the mongrels at the bar, but it was a lot of fun. I go to a, there's a very cool bar near my apartment. That's actually a lot of fun to watch hockey games. Um, it's not just your normal, it's a bar and that's it. It's a bar that's got, uh, jerseys everywhere. It's, uh, Got a goal horn that goes off when we score. It feels like Carson City Saloon, but much cleaner. Put it that, ah, okay. put it that way. <laughs> well, it's good that you found a place to watch the game. I did watch the game in my apartment down in Virginia, and I was pacing an awful lot during this game because as most games have been the past three postseasons, it was a nail-biter for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Nothing can ever come easy for this team, it seems, as of late, but... What I want to do is I'm going to run down this game really quickly, just some of the big hits, and then we'll get into the big highlights and the big headlines of the game. Of course, first period starts, and Tristan Jari really wants that first goal back. Goes right over his glove side. Not a great goal to allow by Kyle Palmieri, and of course, we'll hear his name a little bit later. But luckily for the Pittsburgh Penguins, Freddie Gaudreau was able to come back shortly after that and get his first goal of the playoffs. It seems like he is a playoff performer, considering now in... 10 games, 
he has five goals in the his playoff career. So good to see Freddie G getting on the board. A little bit of pyrotechnics for the Pittsburgh Penguins behind the net in the corners. At least I saw that. I might have my eyes might have been deceiving me. I haven't had a lot of sleep in the past 24 hours, but I thought I saw some pyro back there. But the Penguins were able to tie it up shortly after falling behind in the first period. From what I saw, Chris Letang and the Penguins' first line had an absolutely phenomenal first period. It seemed like there was a lot of feeling out from both teams, but that line in particular, the Crosby, Gensel, Rust line, as well as Chris Letang, were all in the top of their game early on in this one. And you had a feeling that they were going to account for at least a goal, and of course that came a little bit later. One thing that we're probably going to get into in pretty great detail is the Sorokin trip of Jake Gensel right at the end of the first period where the Penguins were unable to score on the ensuing power play, but still had a pretty good power play opportunity there. Going into the second period, it was tied at one. The Penguins forecheck looked pretty solid early on in the second period, and the Islanders' breakout was absolutely abysmal. And then, of course, a little bit later into the period, Sidney Crosby doing Sidney Crosby things with an absolutely ridiculous one-handed deflection to put the Penguins in the lead, which is something that they hadn't done against the Islanders in the playoffs very often. Definitely not in the 2019 series is what I'm getting at, as they only led for five minutes in 2019. So already a little bit better to a start at that. But at the same time, right after that, Jeff Carter takes a high-sticking penalty that goes for a four-minute double minor. Of course, the chin of Brock Nelson starts to bleed a little bit. Carter in for four minutes. But the Penguins PK, something they haven't done all too much this season, come up with an absolutely stunning double minor kill, only giving up two shots to the New York Islanders. And we talked with the Bar Down Breakdown guys last week. And yes, the Islanders' power play isn't great versus the Penguins' penalty kill, which isn't great. But the Penguins' penalty kill has been such an issue lately that that four-minute kill was great. The atmosphere at PPG Paints Arena after that kill was also great. But then it kind of died down right, right after that because the Penguins go back on the power play, aren't able to get much going in that last two minutes of play, and they end up 0-3 on the power play after two periods. But they have a 2-1 lead. So how upset can you really get? Go into the third period. Jari allows another bad goal. This one from JG Pajo. Basically the same area. Halfway between the blue line and the goal line. Just shoots it right past Tristan Jari's glove side. And it was a tie game at two. Pajo, who I thought was the most consistently dangerous player in the New York Islanders. You kind of felt something was coming from him. He played a really good game through and through. And he proved it there with a goal that gave them the tie game. Of course, the ice tilt for the New York Islanders led to another goal, giving them a 3-2 lead. This one, Brock Nelson beating Tristan Jari 6-hole. And another third straight rough goal allowed by Jari. Again, something else that we're probably going to discuss in a little bit. But something that is a little bit different for this year's team that makes this team different than the team in 2019. Kasperi Kapanen, 31 seconds later, able to respond with a huge goal, bar and in on Ilya Sorokin to tie it up for the Pittsburgh Penguins with just about... Four minutes left to play in regulation. Of course, nobody scores in the rest of regulation. Nobody scores in the first 10 minutes of overtime where it is back and forth. The Penguins starting to get a little bit more of the opportunities. And then Kyle Parmary takes a short side shot on Tristan Jari. Ends the game at 4-3. to three. The New York Islanders lead the series by a score of one game to zero. So let's break this down a little bit more in a dissecting manner, Horwat. Let's start with that Ilya Sorokin. Not Ilya Sorokin, is it? Is it Ilya Sorokin? So. I believe it's Ilya Sorokin. I don't know why that sounded wrong to me for a second. But let's break down the Sorokin trip of Jake Gensel because 
it seemed like a lot of people thought it was dirty. I thought it was very bush league. It was unnecessary. In my opinion. Yes. So what did, what did you think other than the fact that it was unnecessary? It's hard to say because obviously any penalty is technically a quote-unquote dirty and not good play because it's not what you're supposed yeah. to do. It is a wrong play. It is a penalty. Um, man, th- this whole Tom Wilson thing is just blurred the lines of what we consider good and bad in this league. That Yes, the trip was bad. No, it's not suspendable. Because no. anytime something like this comes up now because of Tom Wilson, you have to have that comment in there. Um, just Yeah, it was just unnecessary. There's no other way of putting it. I mean, if Gensel gets hurt there... I, I'm sure more Penguins fans are shouting for you know, Department of Player Safety to throw the book at them and do something. But uh, for what it's worth, yeah, just an un. It, the only way to put it is unnecessary. It was just unneeded. The puck was clearly already past you. Um, and if you want to talk intentions, I mean, that's that's the harder part of it. We don't know if it was intentional. We're never gonna get that out of him. It it's either intentional or he's absolutely. Blind? Like rookie league, AHL league with his stick because he waited. The puck was behind the net. There's no reason to even start a poke check at that point. And if so, you're if you're a goalie and there's someone barreling down on you like that, you're not in that kind of situation. Unless you're really confident in yourself, you're not really going after the puck at all. You're kind of prepping for the shot. Like I said, unless you're confident in yourself and making the save and poking it away. But he was he didn't he wasn't in that mentality of get out there before Gensel. He was still mm. in the net. He was just playing it late. Basically, if Gensel would have caught up to it, Sorokin was not ready for a shot. No. But he did, I mean, yeah, the trip, unne- it was just unnecessary. He played it wrong. And thankfully, Gensel is kind of okay, I guess. And I'll give him the slight benefit of the doubt in the fact that it is his first NHL playoff game. And he might have had a little bit of nerves going out of the net to play that puck initially, which is why he froze. And then had a delayed reaction. But at the same time, considering the timing of where Gensel was, if Sorokin misses, Gensel at all, that's an easy wraparound goal because Sorokin is hideously out of position at that point. So here's the thing. If your intention wasn't to trip him, you were intentionally putting yourself in an awful position and basically giving up a goal. So that's why I think it's a little more intentional whenever it goes to that extent, wherever he was that out of position. But Nonetheless, the call is made. It's a two-minute tripping, which is obviously the call. Penguins are not able to capitalize. Their power play looked pretty good the first two attempts. The third attempt wasn't as great, but the Pittsburgh Penguins overall, first period, like I said, that first line played extremely well. The rest of it seemed like a feeling out period. The second period, the Pittsburgh Penguins dominated and did basically what we saw them do for the majority of the games this regular season against the Islanders, but were only able to score the one Crosby goal. And then there's the third period. The Penguins did what we have seen them do over the years, which is I'm going to take my foot off the pedal and we're just going to try to win this game two to one, which is not something that the Penguins do well. So I'm confused as to why there's still that inclination to do it. But I saw this at the end of the second period when the Penguins didn't score on the power play and gave up a couple penalty kill opportunities as the tide turner for the New York Islanders, not at the beginning of the third period, but at the end of the second yeah, the whole taking the foot off the gas thing, it's interesting because it's not what it seemed like we were trying to do, though. It just looked like we were getting outplayed for whatever reason all through the third period. I mean, every time we looked up at the screen, it was 
in our end. The Islanders were attacking for some reason, and, you know, J.G. Pajot uh, becoming Jordan Eberle, basically, and killing us, scoring three minutes into the period. I mean, I don't, I don't know what to make of it. I mean, we'll get into things further, I'm sure, but it, it just that whole third period, it ugh, didn't look good for us. I need to get the numbers on it, but, I mean, how many shots did we have that period? Not very many. And here's the thing. Even the shots we did get, that's the issue I had. Not that we yeah. didn't have shots on goal because Sorokin was tested a little in that third period. But the shots that we got, especially early on, were very far out and very low danger shot chances. And it made Sorokin look a lot better than he was. Because in this game, Ilya Sorokin was the king of making easy saves look hard. It was almost Flurry-esque. Yeah. Because you look at some of the big saves he made, and I put that in air quotes... And they were not the hardest saves to make, but he did make them look that much better. And the point is, he made the save. It doesn't matter what you say, he made the save there. But in the third period, the Penguins, a lot of perimeter shots. While I did think they were doing a really good job of chasing pucks down in the offensive zone and regaining possession, they were not really good at getting rebound opportunities and shooting for rebounds. And that's something that they're going to need to do to win this game, these games coming up. Because, yes, Gaudreau had a nice shot to score his goal. Yes, Crosby had an absolutely phenomenal deflection to score his goal. Yes, Kapanen had a really good shot. But here's the thing. You can't rely on just good shots. And you need more of what you saw in the second goal. Crosby in front of the net, a good deflection. You need more passes off the pads. You need better odd man rush opportunities. Because whether it was Crosby, Aston Reese who had an opportunity. I believe McCann had an opportunity. And Tanev had an opportunity. You need to get shots out of that. And I'm pretty sure only one of those four people did on their respective opportunities. Yeah, Kapanen's goal was one of six shots that period. Uh, yeah. So you got five other shots the rest of the period. That's not enough, clearly. I mean, mm -hmm. and obviously they must not have been great shots considering we got outshot 13 to 6 that period. That is over double. That, like I said, every time we looked up and you know noticed the game, it was in our end we were the ones playing defense and it's not even like it was neutral zone defense we weren't trying to put three guys there and play the one three one it was just straight up in our zone and we're trying to get it out and finagle it out the game seemed fine the first two periods seemed fine we looked good we looked great even for a little while um but there was something shaky about the third but there was still something that kept the confidence with us because Sorokin was making those you said Flurry-esque saves I mean Flurry's already making them himself in Vegas today in game one so um yeah it, those are the kind of goals you got to score then because clearly Sorokin's a little shaky in net but it's oh man we're just here again and it I hate seeing it making it sound like that it feels like we're here again but this team has something different about it that's the next point I wanted to get to is this is not the 2019 Pittsburgh Penguins. We said that going into it. We saw that on Sunday afternoon. You know, you want to know why this is not the 2019 Stanley Cup or the Stanley Cup, the 2019 Pittsburgh Penguins that were far from winning the Stanley Cup because they scored that goal to tie the game. In 2019, they weren't tying this game. In 2018, they were not tying this game. In 20. 20 they were not tying this game but the 2021 iteration of the penguins is a little bit more like 2017 and 16 in that they were able to come back and respond 31 seconds later with a really good play by carter to set up 
Kapanen, who had a really good shot on goal. And, and luckily, it was barring in. It was a good shot by Kapanen. But that's the thing that I noticed is whenever we gave up the goal to Brock Nelson, in my head, I said, okay, this could very much be replay of 2018 against the Capitals where they, we gave up late goals and just fizzled at the end. Or 2019 where we gave up a late goal to the Islanders and then just stopped and said, okay, well, we'll get them next game. But this team is different mainly because not only did they tie the game, right after that, because it was a late goal in the third period, that could just crumble your team's chances, especially coming into the third period with a 2-1 lead and having controlled the majority of play. Going down 3-2 late in the game, that could completely deteriorate all morale. But the Penguins were able to come back on the very next shift, a second line that is technically made up of a couple of our third liners, if all healthy, were able to come back and get a good shift out, tie the game. And then the Penguins, I thought they played pretty well in overtime. Yeah, like, this team well. did not deserve to lose this game, but the goaltending did not help them at all. That's, that's my overall observation. But what do you think about the fact that they were able to come back in that third period? And while you say, yes, we're here again, it still feels different at this point. It does until you look at the score from that 2019 game one. I know it was four to three. Uh, and that we had to score late to tie it to go to overtime. Oh no. At least it was Justin Schultz. And yeah, then it's, it, it's a better name. It was Kasperi Kapanen. Now it's a bit more of a confidence builder name now. And uh, again, I'm not going to say these games are, these series are the same because they're not, they're obviously different. Um, we just need to figure out a way to not have Matt Murray playing goalie for us. Uh, yeah, I don't know where the, the struggles with the high glove side came for Tristan Jari, but it, it hit him hard in this game. Oh, did it ever. It it wasn't even that the Islanders were beating Jari glove side. It's that, he, that in the replays, Jari legitimately looked like Matt Murray. Legitimately. Like, so, glove just not up enough, over the shoulder. It, it was weird. Like, it wasn't even like we're watching Jari get beat. It looked like we were watching Murray get beat again. And almost every time. It was frustrating from the Penguins' perspective because you look at the way that they earned their goals. I mean, Goudreau off of a four-check and a turnover. Crosby, a deflection. Kapanen on the rush. But it seemed like they were trying... It took them a lot more to score goals on Ilya Sorokin than it took the Islanders to score on... Tristan Jari because it seemed like they just came down if they had an open shot they would take it and here's the thing on that first goal Marcus Pedersen defending Kyle Palmieri yeah I would let him take that shot I would trust my goaltender in that position and it it burned him and yeah it made Pedersen look a little rough because he didn't step up on him but he took the right angle he made Palmieri take that shot and he just beat Jari Jari just let in a weak goal and then I say the same thing for the Pajot goal, he went in, just beat Jari. Same thing for even the third goal. Just Latang played the guy, made him shoot the puck, and it just went right through the six hole of Tristan Jari. And that even seemed like he put his glove up too high to start. It seemed like he was self-conscious about the two goals he had already given up. And that's what cost him the third goal. So I don't want to say that Tristan Jari was awful because overall he was not an awful goaltender in this game. For the most part, in between those bad goals, he had played some pretty good streaks of hockey. Even in the overtime, he made a couple really big saves. But the problem being, 
when he gave up a goal, they were really weak. And the Penguins can't fight for the goals to tie this game, fight for the goals to get the lead in this game, and then have Tristan Jari giving up a goal like that. There were a lot of times where I thought the Penguins' defense hung him out the dry. Several opportunities for the Islanders where I thought the defense really hurt Tristan Jari. But Jari was able to make those saves, so it just didn't seem like... It was weird because Jari was picking up the defense whenever they blew it up, but whenever the defense was there for him, he was giving up the bad goals. It was a, it was a strange dichotomy in this game based on the goals he allowed and the saves that he actually made. And I don't want to say that he was awful. He definitely needs to be better, but at the same time, I don't think everybody should be that harsh on Jari at this point. No, not yet. He still made great saves. I mean, he made 37. That is a lot. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you got to have the ones that he gave up, but 37 still a lot of shots. Espe 37 still a lot of shots even in the extra time. I mean, mm -hmm. even with the extra 16 and a half minutes added on, that's, that's a lot of rubber to stop. So good on him for keeping the Penguins in this game one way or the other. Um, yeah. I keep hearing noises behind me. I don't know what it is. <laughs> but, um, yeah, no, Jari played played fine. Yeah, he gave up some softies. And, like I said, he, sound, he looked like Matt Murray. But we know he's not. We know he can bounce back. We know we know it's a seven-game series. We don't feel deflated, do we? The, I the don't. The team doesn't. The team still no. has full belief in Jari. They are all the way behind him. And we, they, they can keep fighting. At least we were able to push it to overtime. Yeah, we don't get the pity point here, but we were able to make that push. We were able to hammer it on in a lot of situations. Ilya Sorokin stood on his head for a lot of this game, too. Let's not forget that. This team looked good. There were points of the game where we were wondering, how the hell are we not up by three or four right now? And that's what cost them, is not taking the opportunity to put in goals whenever you had that momentum because they should have like I said several occasions Crosby on the two-on-one with Gensel I mean it was a clear shoot opportunity and he still passes across and yes Gensel does a good job of getting it on net but Crosby basically telegraphed that he was going to pass that puck Zach Aston Reese I, I mean you have two options on a two-on-one shoot the puck or pass the puck I don't think there's ever been an option of, I'm going to try to carry the puck literally across the goal line. But that's what it looked like he tried to do. So there were missed opportunities for the Penguins that ended up costing them. It was not all Tristan Jari. I think a lot of the blame does need to rest on the shoulder of Tristan Jari. But the Penguins lost this game when they weren't able to go up 3 or 4-1 to one in the second period. Yeah, that Aston Reese one, I think he was selecting the option of shoot it, but just just couldn't do it the right way. Yeah, he tried to cut into the middle of the ice slowly and then just kept fading towards Sorokin until everybody caught up to him. He tried to do something that we've seen many players do before, and that is, you know, that that dangle around a diving player, which we've seen many players do before successfully. It just seemed this one went in slow motion, and the defenseman was not sliding out of the way at all. He sat there, while, and then at the same time, there was just someone on his back it yeah it's it, it if let's say that player is not on his right behind him i forget who all the players were i just know aston reese mm -hmm. was the one toe dragging if the defenseman's not bearing down behind him maybe he gets that shot off because you're able to kind of lift it over a stick easily but, mm -hmm. but still 
Um, a sense of urgency would be nice. Yeah, in that, that's, that's in was, that instance. That's the part of, the part I was getting to. In that situation, you gotta just rip it, just because he was down early, and that's kind of what screwed him. He tried to go around him because the defenseman got down early, so he tries to go around him. But you got a guy behind you. You just have to shoot over the guy. He was at least giving him the shot. I'll give him that. But you gotta be a little more urgent, like you said. So the Penguins scored three goals in this game, all three, of course, coming from forward lines, first line, second line, and third line, all putting in pucks in the net and and really playing really well. The fourth line was the only line forward-wise that didn't score a goal. What did you think of their performance? Because this is the first time in a long time that we have seen Aston Reese, Bluger, and Tanev back on the ice together at least since that Boston game about a month ago. So what did you think of their performance? Specifically, tailor it to Brandon Tanev. What did you think about his performance in his first game back? God, he is all over the ice at all times, is he not? Usually, I thought at the beginning of the game he was a little slow. I was quite surprised at his... I mean, yeah, he's coming off of an injury. Mm -hmm. So I am not... I'm not surprised too much. I expected him, especially because it was the playoffs, to come out firing on all cylinders in the first... First period and a little bit of the second period, it seemed like he was a little lackadaisical, couldn't really get his feet underneath him. But the third period in overtime, I was a lot more pleased with his effort. But I, I keep forgetting that he has stones for hands. Like, I, I love Brandon Tanev, but his dangles and his deeks are not not solid at all. And people talk crap on Jason Zucker for it, but Brandon Tanev is about at that level, probably a little bit worse. But still, it was nice to see Tans back out there, and I thought he... Had an overall pretty good game. I just thought it took a little bit longer than I expected for him to get back into it. Yeah, he looked fine. I mean, it. yeah, that first period, okay, may not have been all there, but those last 40, 55 minutes, um, he was everywhere, I thought. I mean, he's, he's finishing all of his checks. I mean, he had nine hits. Nine. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, that whole line, you know, pulled in a minus one but um they're at least getting their chances offensively i mean he also had four shots on goal he's all over the ice yeah there's no other way of putting it I mean, yeah he had a slow start but that's the whole feeling out process i feel like the i feel like both teams kind of had themselves a little feeling out process before paul mary netted one it for tanev specifically i mean he's just I, mean, I don't know what to say. I mean, those are, yeah, he had four shots. But they were kind of invisible shots. You know, you don't re- remember any of them. But um, the fact he was able to get four off is good sign pointing forward for a line that focuses on defense. But again, you know, they mm-hmm. combined themselves for a minus three. Uh, but that's one apiece. And it was the only goal they gave up. I mean, oh, I forget who tweeted it. I forget what the stat exactly was. I think it was like those three were not out there together. Um, for a goal against at even strength at all this season. So, of course, it's only natural. Then the first playoff game, it's going to happen. Yes, and it's the first goal. Um, yeah, that it makes total sense. So, if, as long as they're able to bounce back, I mean, the three of them, no giveaways. Uh, two of them had a takeaway. I'm just trying to read stats off NHL.com, doing what mm-hmm. I can here. But, <laughs> yeah, it's I'm not too worried about them. They're the fourth line. I mean, as long as they can play defense and... And as long as our fourth line is better than their fourth line, which so far, so good. Mm. Yeah, I, I I mean, they were pretty, they both made their mark on the game. I don't think the Islanders fourth line didn't really put too many scoring chances off. And I know Cal Clutterbuck absolutely whiffed on an opportunity on a breakaway, which helped. But 
I think the Islanders' fourth line did exactly what Barry Trotz and Lou Lamorello want them to do. Kyle Clutterbuck was an absolute menace on Sunday for everybody. Matt Martin, of course, doing the same exact thing. Casey Zizekas was pretty pretty invisible, so I, I guess he, he was kind of a non-factor. But the other two definitely made their mark and definitely did similar to what they did in the 2019 series. And I think there's kind of a an archetype for what they need to play like. And I think they went back and tried to harken back to what they did in 2019. And they did have some success with it. The rest of it, the Penguins kind of shrugged off because they have grown since then. But I think both Clutterbuck and Matt Martin were able to play their game on su Sunday. And that's something that's going to be interesting to look forward to if you're looking at the rest of the series is if that line can continue to play that way and improve on the Pittsburgh Penguins. It seemed like they tried to match them up with Crosby every once in a while, but of course Mike Sullivan had last change, so he was able to switch the matchups. Pollock and Pellick are the two defensemen that Barry Trotz really wants to put on Sidney Crosby. But it seems like this year, Sidney Crosby himself is going to be a little too much. But I think his line mates need to step up just a little bit more when it comes to not only finishing opportunities, but getting good opportunities on the net. I thought Rust and Gensel both played okay games, but I thought they needed to be a little bit more dangerous on the ice. They had some opportunities to shoot the puck that they passed up on. And I know the Penguins were trying to get into the center of the ice and were pretty unsuccessful against the New York Islanders. But at the same time, I feel like that first line, if the Penguins want to be successful in this postseason, Gensel and Rust are going to have to play bigger roles than they did on Sunday. Are they ever? Um, yeah. It, you got. I mean, I noticed that Rust is the guy that really – he's the chaser. Whenever we go for the dump and chase, he's the one getting down there while – Crosby and Gensel set up. He's got to do a little more than that. I mean, it's good that the line looked good. It's not mm -hmm. like they looked awful. They were getting their chances, but um, again, just got to do a little bit better. I'm trying to think if there's anything standing out. There's really not. I mean, five, four, and four on shots for the three of them. Yeah, it's not like they were a minus, right? No, Gensel was a minus one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it's just a weird situation for him just a slow start maybe hopefully you know it's and it's one game it is one a, game yes a line can struggle for one game and even the line didn't struggle itself because Sidney Crosby had himself a really good game this afternoon but it's just his line mates weren't able to really met I guess mesh with them there was one opportunity and I believe it was either the third or overtime where Russ just turned around and kind of blindly threw a pass to Jake Gensel. That was an opportunity. Like I said, there were opportunities there. It just seemed like they never materialized to anything that made Ilya Sorokin sweat. And I think that's what that line needs to do. They need to make him sweat. They need to put the puck behind him. And he needs to, I don't want to say fear because he's an NHL goaltender, but he needs to fear when they're out there. He needs to know that, listen, I'm going to have to do something crazy to keep this team, this line from scoring. And, and I don't think the Penguins did enough of that. At least the first line did enough of that. On Sunday, the rest of the lines I thought were okay. I, again, I thought the fourth line had a slow start. I thought the second line had a slow start, but that's game one of the playoffs kind of thing. The Penguins, of course, coming off of over a week layoff as well. And this team is better when they're playing back-to-back-to-back -back -back games or playing a lot of games in a short period of time. So hopefully they'll be ready to go whenever Tuesday night rolls around for game two. Of course, there's going to be a lot more fans in the stands for game two, including one Nick Horwat who will be in attendance on Tuesday. How first of all, how excited are you before we continue with our analysis of game one and our preview for game two? 
Oh, uh, thinking back, it'll be the first playoff game I've been to since. Ooh. 2018 because <laughs> I know I didn't go in 2019 we got swept I think I had to work no I worked the one home game and then watched the second one with you mm-hmm. and obviously last year no one was at any I don't remember if I went to any in 2018 because I was in Florida when we lost so it might be since I may not have been to a playoff game since game five of the Stanley Cup finals in 2017 Woo. Yeah, I mean, it's been a while, and it seems like that's how long it's been since the Penguins were successful in the Stanley Cup playoffs. But but hey, that first round of twenty seven and twenty eighteen, come on, it, it was it was a good series against the Flyers. <laughs> but that, that was a ton of fun, and I oh, I just don't remember if I was in any playoffs. So yeah, I'm excited. I'm jacked to be going back to a game. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure we might be recording the next day. God help us if I'm very hungover for it. Um, <laughs> wish us luck but that being said yeah i'm just excited to be back that atmosphere is going to be awesome and also mm-hmm. if we're going to talk people being in the stands and playoffs did, did i hear full capacity for game five that is a storyline that kdka ran with i'm not sure i mean the penguins apparently a penguins executive said they're looking for full capacity game five david morehouse on the pomp and pony podcast brought to you by the fan did say they're trying to get to uh a full house for game five of round one and that shook everyone yeah especially considering they just had the news that they're going to go to 50 percent for game two yeah it, so things so it it seems like pa this is a quick news tidbit for everyone uh, it seems like pa you know tom wolf said hey we're gonna ease up on the mask restrictions like a few days later the cdc said hey if you're fully vaccinated you really don't need one in most situations and then all hell broke loose everywhere. PNC Park said they're going to get rid of theirs for fully vaccinated people. Mm-hmm. Um, in a, in the weird same like twenty four hour span, it seemed like the you know we the Penguins announced we were jumping to fifty percent, and then they said we're going to stick to our mask mandate because that is the NHL's thing. Cool, mm-hmm. sweet, effing should be anyway. And then they also and then David Morehouse kind of jumped on the train of we're going to try and have full capacity for Game Five. Yeah. So, <laughs> ooh, everything kind of happened really quickly. Yeah, we'll and it's going to be goes. nice to see that many more fans in the stands. It was nice to see fans in the stands on Sunday, but 50%, that changes a whole lot of it. I'm not exactly sure where Vegas is, but I know they're pretty much leading the NHL right now in fans in the stands, so I'll have to is go and check the tape the, on that game. Oh, they don't have the biggest arena. They they don't. But It's close to it, though, isn't it? it it's pretty high up there, but... Nonetheless, the Pittsburgh Penguins now trail the series one to nothing and a big storyline going into the game. And we didn't really want to talk about it while we talked about the game, but a big storyline going into the game, of course, is Evgeny Malkin was a scratch today with an injury. Obviously, it's the same injury he's still dealing with. So we don't know his status for game two. How important would it be for him to be in the lineup? Do they need him in the lineup to win on Tuesday? Oh, man, I appreciate all of the pundits and critics out there that love giving the stats of how great the penguins played without him um listen this is a game i think he would have thrived on i don't know why don't know why but it just i had a vibe that a second line center of of genny malkin don't get me wrong we love jeff carter in this household but uh a minus two with three giveaways Jeff Carter, he didn't play a great game, especially yeah. taking that penalty, that four-minute penalty. That four now, penalty. That, that was wishy-washy on the fact of whether or not somebody hit his stick, but his stick went up in a Nelson's face anyway. It's a penalty. 
So he didn't have the greatest game. He redeemed himself with a nice assist at the end of the game there mm -hmm. on the captain goal. But I still thought that Jeff Carter played pretty well. I, I think Jeff Carter had a good game. I think that whole line yeah. itself had a good game. And I think it's just getting started, especially because I think McCann didn't really get a chance to shine in game one. He didn't really have much to say in his performance. But for Evgeny Malkin's return in game two, listen, the Penguins don't want to stand the cup without Evgeny Malkin this not year. One bit. Not, not, one not, bit. A, not a chance. And you know Evgeny Malkin, other than scoring goals and being big time, he likes to play the hero. Earlier in the week, because, of course, there was a long layoff between games, I watched the 2009 Stanley Cup DVD. And in that, when they said what their goals were, Evgeny Malkin said, I'm going to carry this team to the Stanley Cup. That was it. And he meant it. And it wasn't a joke. Like, people people laughed. But Evgeny Malkin was like, no, I'm serious. I I'm taking us to a Stanley Cup. Like, you, you, can, you can jump on. I'm going. And he's still that same guy today. Now, he might not be the same player. He's not the Conn Smythe guy that he was back then, probably. But he is still an extremely good hockey player. We saw it last season. And we've seen it at points during this season. So the Pittsburgh Penguins are going to need him when it comes to trying to win this series and going forward. Because, listen, how much does it change whenever Malkin is playing with Kapanen and you throw up Zucker on that line and then Carter gets to match up with third line of the Islanders? It, it changes a whole lot. Yeah, it, again, all love to Frederick Goudreau, but I mean, as the th as the third line center, um, that's just not his spot. You know, mm -hmm. we kind of pegged him as a third line guy because we thought Bluger was doing so well, and then his offense kind of tailored off a little. So you put Goudreau. I mean, it's hard to center a line. It is. That is Carter's position on this team, though. I mean, mm. come down to it. Oh, well, I mean, it's going to be maybe an easier decision than we're thinking, but when Malkin comes back, which is hopefully game two, I mean, he skated this morning and um, has at least been skating, just no mm -hmm. rushes, not taking part in warm-ups. Um, you got to take Rodriguez or, uh, I can't remember his name, Goudreau out of the lineup, and it looks like it's going to be Rodriguez at this point. I yeah. mean, at least Goudreau, you know, has that ability to play center and can be a... Like, that's three centers on your third line. Yeah, you have three guys that can take face-offs there. And here's the thing. Evan Rodriguez can take face-offs and has played center uh -huh. for the Penguins before, too. But if you look back at the last couple of games of the season, that third line of McCann, Carter, and Goudreau was probably without Sidney Crosby's line being what they are, that McCann line was the best line for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Obviously, Jeff Carter scoring four goals in the penultimate game of the season, then scoring the only goal in the final game of the season. In those same two games, you know, Freddie Gaudreau had four assists. He tacked on a goal today. As much as I like the way that Evan Rodriguez played, and I thought he played a pretty decent game, that's just, he's a fatality of a good, healthy lineup if Malkin's able to come back. So as much as I like him, I, I keep Freddie Gaudreau in in that instance. And then roll the lines that we saw whenever the Penguins were fully healthy at, at practice because I think that's a good lineup. And I think they put out a great lineup on Sunday. And it just didn't metastasize because a couple of mistakes and some poor goaltending at points. So they are far from out of it. I, I There's been a lot of people that I've seen kind of panicking. And yes, I'm fully aware that that's going to happen regardless. It, 
no matter what team it is, it's the Stanley Cup playoffs. If you lose game one, your your fan base is going to kind of go a little crazy, especially the way that the Penguins were able to play for the bulk majority of that game and then coming out of it with nothing. It's going to drive some people a little crazy, but I don't think the Penguins are in a bad position right now. It does hurt that they lost home ice advantage because you of all people have been somebody mm-hmm. who has preached how important home ice advantage is in this series against the Islanders, and they lost it. They have a chance to take it back, but... They need to look at game two as a must win. I don't think it necessarily is. Uh, Going down 2-0, going to New York is tough, but I don't think you panic unless they go down 3-0. I think think that, I mean, that's obvious. I I know that's pretty obvious, but I don't think you panic after 2-0, basically. Depending on how they play, unless they completely crap the bed, you don't panic yet. You don't panic definitely not after game one. I'll give you you don't panic after game two. I'll give you 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 start panicking if they still look bad a period into game three. Yes. Yeah, that, that's better. Yeah, oh, exactly. Get, you getting fixed all the way past, yeah, Getting all the way past game three without panic. That Because well, then you're clear. down 3-0 and... On the road still. Yes. Uh, in the barn. Yeah, it's not ideal. So... We have to take advantage of game two. I mean, yeah, you're going to flip home ice advantage, but man, we can do it. We can do it. Yes, the panic switch will be flipped for those who panic easily. Fair. Things suck. And I think the panic switch is getting flipped for a lot of people because three years in a row of this. That's kind of the reason. It's not so much that, you know, it's not so much that the team didn't look good or... You know, we lost and we're just not good. We we won the East. Clearly, we're a good team, right? Mm-hmm. It's just that it's three years in a row of this. Now, I don't remember exactly how we or the fans felt going into the Montreal series. I think we were all just kind of excited to have hockey back at all for the Montreal series. I don't exactly remember how excited we were going into the last Islander series. Like... There's always a good amount of confidence in the fan base going into the playoffs because, rightfully so, they're your favorite team. You're going to sit back and think they're the greatest team in the world, which I believe we still do. Mm-hmm. But that's coming from Pittsburghers. I mean, I was, you know, before we started here, I had a couple episodes. I had a, I was kind of flipping back and forth between um, two episodes that were doing, or yeah two podcasts that were doing live episodes at the network the the islanders one because i wanted to see what they had to say and the ducks podcast with nate and carter carter thank you um they both said the islanders were going to win the series those two so clearly people are continuing to count this team out they picked the islanders to win the series and neither carter knew that uh the islanders had one game one in overtime nate had no idea so put that into perspective, if you will, as well. Nate had no idea that the Islanders had won game one and picked the Islanders. Again, all love for those guys. You're going to be wrong. <laughs> You're going to be wrong. You will be wrong. <laughs> yes. Um, but let's take it easy on the panic switch. Again, if things look bad partway into game three, even if things look horrible in game two, maybe we start to look at it. But um for now we're fine but I, before we wrap up with this game unless we have more to talk about um how the hell did kyle palmieri do nothing for this team that's what i would have i've been wanting to talk about this all episode 
he did nothing for this Islanders team since yeah. the trade deadline. He well, has his man. Yeah, go ahead. I was about to say it comes down to Lou Lamorello because in the regular season, they forced Kyle Palmieri to shave his luscious beard. And since they finished the regular season, he was able to grow it out a little bit. So it's the power of the facial hair for Kyle Palmieri. So that's why we should be a little bit worried because he already has two goals. Man's a former 30 goal scorer when he wears a beard. He shaved, didn't do anything, allowed to grow it out again. Here he is, game one, two goals, and I think that just even more so makes Lou Amarillo's no beard thing a joke. He had two goals in the however many games he played with them after the trade deadline. Like now, 20. <laughs> yeah. Also, what's up with Zajac exactly? Is he he not, was not in the lineup. Is he hurt? Is it? I have no idea. Is he, was I, he I, that really, bad? I really don't because they were talking about Travis Zajac being able to score overtime goals, and I looked and I was like, did Travis Zajac even play in this yeah, game? He's not here. Yeah, so he's probably a healthy scratch, to be completely honest. I don't see anybody who I would play him over in the Islanders lineup. I mean, I was surprised when I saw Leo Komarov playing on the top line with Matt Barzal. So, I, I mean, whatever floats your boat, Barry Trotz, I mean, that, that helps. But, I mean, the, that's also a thing where Matt Barzal was not all that great in this game. He did not make that big of a difference. No. He had the one opportunity where he went around Mike Matheson. But other than that, he was very subdued. And I think that's a good sign for the Pittsburgh Penguins as well, that your defense was playing pretty well against their best players. Anthony Beauvillier did have a couple opportunities, and luckily he wasn't able to connect on basically anything because he also would have had an opportunity to just completely change the course of the game with a couple of his opportunities. Yeah, holding Barzal to zero shot attempts. It wasn't even shots on goal. It was zero shot attempts through the whole game, regular uh, time I thought yeah. or at least that's what Twitter and what the announcers were kind of harping on like they at least showed he had zero shots but I think they kept saying like he has zero shot attempts through the through the first 60 yeah that's how you play him whatever you did against Matt Bar you keep doing that you isolate him and take him out of the game because yeah Jordan Everly can score yeah uh, Oliver Wallstrom has the ability to score well, apparently Kyle Palmieri has the ability, does have the ability to score, but no one else on this lineup can really score. Uh, Pajot. Pajot, I, I forgot about him. You, yeah, I was about to say, I don't know if you forgot about him, but Pajot was clearly the most dangerous Islander. I did totally forget about him, and that's kind of what that's kind of what makes that team deep, is that you really do forget about him all the time, because when you think of the Islanders, you figure, oh, it is this sturdy, stout defensive team that has Matt Barzal doing all the scoring. Yeah, did you forget about their third line? Is he a center? Yes. He, he plays on the third line on this team, right? Yep. That's the wildest thing to me. <laughs> this team is an enigma for sure. Pajot, you kind of just forget is there. Um, It's only 28 points this season, though. Maybe it's for good reason. No, not for good reason. That's 14 and 14. Yeah, no, he's a good player. Um, Good player. <sighs> Brutal. I don't know. I think... I don't know what to make about it. You forget he's there, and then he does that kind of thing to you. Yeah, and I think we've, we've basically broke down this game as much as we possibly could at this point. I mean, the Penguins are now, what, 1-8 in their last nine playoff games? It, it's not a fun statistic because the Penguins, not, it's not only that they're losing these series, it's the fact that they haven't had winning playoff hockey on a consistent basis in a long time. So hopefully game two, they come back, get the win. I... This team is different to me. 
this team is a lot different than 2020, 2019, and e even 2018 to an extent. It just feels like they are deeper. They're getting the scoring from different places. It feels like Sidney Crosby is not going to be shut down like he was in 2019 by the New York Islanders. It feels like the defense is able to play better. I think, again, they were giving up a little too many chances, but at the same time, this team is going to come out and win game two. I I'm pretty positive that it's going to be by more than two goals, Ooh. especially if Malkin comes back. I think the Penguins are primed to go out there and put on a show in game two because the way they responded in overtime showed me that they were not happy with their third period and showed me that they can control the pace of play again and that they are confident that they can always turn it on in the flip of the switch. And hopefully they continue to do that for a full 60 minutes on Tuesday. If they do that, they'll win by, I'll put a score of five to two on it. That's my prediction for Tuesday. I think the Penguins will win five to two, tie the series up going to Long Island. Yeah, I'm not going to, oh my God, he's like, I'm not going to give a prediction like that. I like it, um, but I want to quickly read because we were talking about him. We always forget about him. Quickly talk about JG Pajot. Mm -hmm. um, I was going to say, I looked at his stats with the Islanders and saw that he was like fourth on the team in hits in a team that features their fourth line. Yeah. He has 111 this season. I thought, wow, uh, Barry Trotz really did turn his game around to play that sort of style. This is like the fewest amount of hits JG Pajot has ever had in a season. <laughs> He's always played this game and people don't realize that. Holy shit. Well, to be fair, he played in Ottawa and he wasn't really featured ever in Ottawa until basically they traded everybody else away. I was going to say, yeah, I mean, his... He's been playing since 2012. Yeah. Oh, my. I know nothing about the NHL. <laughs> <laughs> it's a real sobering moment whenever you look at this player and you're like, wow, he, he's been in what, for four years, five years? And then you realize it's been about a decade. Why do you listen? Why do people listen to me talk about hockey? I know nothing. Apparently. Yeah, he's been like, he's gotten selkie votes like every year for the past eight seasons. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, know that's nothing. also. I know nothing about this player. It's also a byproduct of him playing in Canada and us working and living in a U.S. market. Yeah, but it literally, uh, yeah, and it did take us until, um, you know, that series against Ottawa for us to really realize him. I thought that was his rookie season whenever he scored four goals that year in that playoff game before In 2017? Us. Yeah. That was like his, it may have been his technical rookie year. That was like year. his, like, fifth or sixth year. Oh, yeah, so. no, it's like his third full season, if not fourth. Yeah, so J.G. Pajot has been here for a while doing these things the way that he has been doing these things, and I think obviously, I mean, the Bar Down Breakdown guys called him a game changer for the New York Islanders, and he was just that in game one. He only scored one goal, but he definitely led the charge for the New York Islanders, especially with the way that the Penguins were able to neutralize Matt Barzal. That's not going to happen for four or five, six games. You're going to have Matt Barzell make a difference. You're just going to have to hope that you can neutralize him more often than not like you did in game one. So at the end of the day, the Penguins trail by one game. They can come out and tie the series and make it a five-game series on Tuesday. Hopefully they do that. Again, my prediction, a 5-2 to two win for the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think Tristan Jari bounces back in a big way, and I think that first line goes out and scores a couple goals as well. Hopefully, maybe even a Brandon Tanev goal from the fourth line. But I'm saying 5-2. to two. I think the Penguins tie the series. But we're going to take a quick break really quickly. I said quick too many times. But we're going to take a break. When we come back, we have our Pens poll, double Pens polls for this week. But 
We will be right back. Hello, my name is Richard Blosser, host of the Grit and Barrett podcast here on the Hockey Podcast Network, covering the Hershey Bears, the 11-time Calder Cup champions of the American Hockey League, and the 2018 Stanley Cup champion Washington Capitals. Each Tuesday, I recap Bears games, give you Bears news, notes, and nuggets, and all of the hockey news that matters to me, whether it's the American Hockey League, the NHL, or banter about hockey jerseys. This hack brings you high energy. They score! Connor McMichael has ended the game! Unfiltered. Look, Herco's really going to have to work hard to bring back the fan base from this pandemic because you can't just rely on vaccinations. You have a fan base that is old, stubborn, and very reluctant to change. Not to mention you got to work on bringing back families and then whatever fan base you can try and get back from other parts of the state. You just can't rely on people coming out from 81 and 78. You got to work on a fan base that's very, very hesitant to change and at times unfocused. Look, Ovechkin is basically the guy who comes into the bar, kicks open the door, and says, Who ordered a white Russian, huh? Well, we all know Sidney Crosby is the guy who enters in from the side door, red carpet, VIP, Armani suits, and alligator shoes. That's just the type of guys they are. So join me every Tuesday here on the Hockey Podcast Network for the Grit and Barrett Podcast. Follow me on Twitter at Grit and Barrett P1. That's Grit, G R I T, and B E A R IT P1 on Twitter. Available wherever you get all your podcasts, part of the Hockey Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg Podcast, brought to you, as always, by the Hockey Podcast Network, as well as DraftKings. We can't forget our favorite sponsor. DraftKings, you can use code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook app for amazing opportunities. Horwat, we have a couple Pens polls this week. One that came as our normal Monday to Friday Pens poll, and another one that came out when the Penguins said that they are going to wear their gold jerseys. I know you have an opinion <laughs> on this, so we'll hit that at the end. But our first Pens poll was, who will be the biggest factor to Penguins postseason success if it should happen? Tristan Jari, unsurprisingly, Wins that poll with 42%. Sidney Crosby gets 32%. Evgeny Malkin, 16%. And 10% of other. We had a couple people that commented that said Gino just to kind of reiterate their vote. Our friend State of Hoppy from the Soda Pod said that he thinks Brandon Tanev is going to be an X factor, which he very much could be. I thought he played a pretty good game on Sunday for at least half of it. We already went over that. But Tristan Jari, unsurprisingly, wins that poll. I understand why people voted for Sidney Crosby because without Sidney Crosby, it's going to be hard for the Penguins to do that. But I'm pretty trustworthy in the fact that Crosby's going to go out and do what he did in game one pretty much every game this postseason. I'm more wary and cautious about Tristan Jari in his first full postseason as the true number one goaltender. And in one game, the results aren't great. Like I said, half the game, he was playing really well, making good saves, good rebound control. And then the other half of the game are the four goals that he allowed. And yes, that last one was a good shot, but it's poor positioning on his part. The other three were just really poor goals to give up. So I wholeheartedly agree that Tristan Jari is the biggest factor for the Penguins, especially after game one. He is the one who stops the pucks, man. 
That's a that's a pretty big factor. Goaltending is such an important position in this sport, and in this little game that we decide to, you know, watch day in and day out and stress ourselves out over. Yeah, we put a lot of faith into Tristan Jari. He is. I forgot to vote on this one. I'm noticing now, but he is mm-hmm. probably who I would have voted for anyway. So, not much missed, I guess. Um, because it makes the most sense. He's like I said, he's the guy who stops the pucks. He's the biggest factor for more than just being the goalie in a playoff series. It's his first full time starting job in the postseason. Yeah, he had that trial run last year, basically. Um, where we said on this podcast. We couldn't blame that loss on him. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, we're, this this loss, again, here we go. Classic Yenzer. We're going to start blaming losses on people. Yeah. Uh, and you kind of have to. I mean, yeah, is it his fault? Air quotes. Sure, you got to have those saves. You got to stop those pucks because, again, that's your job. But, yeah, he's the biggest factor because you need him stopping the puck. You need him to not be looking like Matt Murray out there. I think I really went over it earlier in the game. It's if that is stopped, if he's able to get his glove hand moving a little quicker, um, let's say he makes, yeah, okay, let's say he makes all those saves. Yeah, he won in a shutout, but you know, let's say he makes even just one of them, it's a different game. You know, it's and not including the overtime one, which just seems weird. Overtime's a different animal, always. Yeah. So throw that one out the window, but kind of remember that it happened. But as for the other three, I mean, you got to have him. He's going to be a huge factor going forward, especially in game two. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. Hopefully the, hopefully the crowd is at least kind of behind him here, not just writing him I don't off. think he's going to get the Bronx cheer. I mean, yeah, well, here's – because we're going into this playoffs for the first time in a long time without real questions of who should be starting. Mm-hmm. Because I think a lot of fans do realize, well, our other option right now is Casey DeSmith. Oh, wait, scratch that. He's hurt. Maxim Legasse, no thank you. We'll, we'll stick with Jari and his slow glove hand and just hope he can figure it out. Because, again, the Islanders, yes, they're a good team. We picked – everyone picked him as the most ideal opponent right now. Yeah. Let's this is This is what that. everybody wanted. It is. And I said annual with the Bruins. We got it. Let's utilize it for the love of God. And here's the last word on Tristan Jari. The goals that he gave up, eventually you're going to give up a bad goal. Yeah. Giving up one of those bad goals could be detrimental to your team's opportunity to win a game. Giving up three of those bad goals is what costs you a game. Mm -hmm. So I don't like to point blame because it's not all Tristan Jari's fault. It is a team sport. It, It is a team sport. The fact that the Penguins were only able to score two goals in the first two periods considering the way they played. And zero power play goals and zero power play goals it, that it's it's that fault as well but the thing for Tristan Jari is he needs to be better for this team to win because if that consists we can see the penguins forward lines and we can see the penguins offense putting more goals in if they play the way they did in the first and specifically if they do in the second period but if Tristan Jari persists the way that he has there's not a point in playing out these next couple games so if you're giving up goals like that more than one a game, then there's no point in playing the games. But I, I truly believe he will bounce back on Tuesday. And with that, let's finish off on a fun note, not ragging on anybody because we do love this team. We do believe in this team. But they're going to be wearing those Pittsburgh golds again. 
on Tuesday. Horwat, you should buy a Pittsburgh gold to wear on Tuesday. I, I think you should do that. that. That's a sign of good faith. I already have a yellow jersey, and it's just an old practice jersey. Um, no, I mean that's close enough. All right, cool. I I will wear <laughs> I will wear that on Wednesday, or Tuesday. Tuesday. Um, I know me, you, and Dougie had a quick conversation about superstitions and traditions and such. Uh, one of my superstitions, I guess, even though I said they don't matter to you guys, which they really don't in hindsight, but uh, they feel better. One of the ones I do persist on is I do not wear the giveaway shirts on the day mm. of the game. Whether, it's fine. They don't do it anymore. I think they, they didn't give away shirts in this game. They give away towels. Ah, that's right. Which is, if you're if you're gonna go with the whole this team's gonna wear the gold uniforms, we're gonna give away gold stuff. Give give away the shirts then too. I, I know it's not gonna be a full arena, but money. give away the shirts. Money, eh. money's hard fit in this era right now. Money's hard. I don't blame them. I kind of totally forgot about that. But that being said, okay, I just had to throw that one in there. I don't wear the shirt, but um. Goodness gracious, we're wearing the yellow. I guess this is our first time we're able to talk about this on microphone. It is. Uh, I hate it. I'll say it. I you, you hate it? Well, I hate it because, first of all, I'm not a fan of the jerseys. Do I get we play well in them? Yes. Again. But the only the only reason we know that is because everyone in sports are superstitious. Mm-hmm. So we just know those numbers. Um, I just think they're ugly jerseys. I'm going to be honest. There's something about not having the... Tr- the Literally, and if, I feel like everything would be fixed if two things were to change. One, you put the triangle back on the penguin, and two, not a yellow helmet. See, I don't mind. The, I, I like the yellow. Listen, I like the jerseys overall. I, I, I think do, they're yes. good. I, I don't like them as much as the penguins' regular home jerseys. That's why I was a little baffled by this decision. But I, I like the yellow helmets, actually. Especially, I like them more with the black PPG on them. I think that makes it a little bit more bearable than if it was the penguins' logo. Yeah, um, I also just kind of always found the whole wearing our third or our special jersey in the playoffs a little gimmicky. I know the Penguins did it in 2016. The The intention there was to make them the permanent jerseys, mm-hmm. so that one felt different. But I, like we've seen the Capitals do it on multiple occasions, and they lost every time. And it wasn't like they were trying to make those the permanent jerseys because they still have these dog piles of jerseys that they shouldn't be wearing anymore. I'll say it. They're ugly compared to what they've worn in the past. Let's be honest. But just these teams that go into the playoffs and they say, we're going to wear our special ones. I, I know there's been more. I just can't remember them. Hurricanes do it. Oh, the Hurricanes did. It just seems gimmicky to me. I don't know what it is. Like, unless it is your intention to make that the permanent one. And I think that was that was very well known in Pittsburgh when they decided to wear the black ones um, into the playoffs for home games because – I think it was like decided like mid-season like yeah we're gonna be wearing this next year we're ditching the vegas gold or the khaki and we're gonna be wearing this we're gonna have an away one made and everything i that was the intention so that one felt different and then we ended up winning in the khaki making all the photos not match the banner but we don't talk about that (laughs) um so that being said back to this yellow not monstrosity again it's a good design i if you wanted to change the main logo Put a different color behind the penguin, maybe. Switch it up. I don't know. I just don't. It, you really only have three colors to choose from because I don't think they should be mixing in blue with anything that they have. No, 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 there. no. And I'm saying I was literally thinking about this earlier today. Give it a white background. What's the worst that can happen there? I mean, the black wouldn't make sense because it's already a black penguin, and you cannot change the color of a penguin. But make that black, like white or something. I don't know. 
don't get rid of the triangle because that's kind of what makes this logo look weird. It's what makes the entire uniform look weird. I liked it when they did it for the stadium series that one time. Mm-hmm. And I get that's kind of what this jersey is going off of, but they had black helmets for that. And... No, they didn't. They had yellow helmets for the stadium series when they won that. They did? Yes. Go go go! Check the goal update that I posted because Sidney Crosby's wearing it. But yes, the one thing oh, yeah, that I see it right there on my screen. I'm a big dummy. But yeah, yeah the, okay. The one thing that they did do to change it up when they made it their thirds is they took away the City of Champions patch What's that this? I thought was extremely cool. So I, I liked it. I think they and they also changed the the numbering, the numbering and the lettering. Yeah. So I think that's why I think I don't like it as much as the Stadium Series. But I still think there are decent jerseys. But the bulk majority. I thought was going to side with you, but I was <laughs> so wrong. So did I. So we put up the Pens poll whenever that news came out that said the Penguins will be wearing their gold or yellow third jerseys for all playoff home games. What is your reaction to that? The, the options that I put out there was sweet <laughs> or no, oh God, please no. And if you know what that's from, obviously you're an office fan like me. 60% of our listeners said sweet. I was surprised. I was genuinely surprised. I didn't know that many people liked that jersey and would be okay enough to see that jersey. I don't know if it was that or if it was just because a lot of people don't really care what jersey they wear in the playoffs and might have just said sweet because it's like, cool, sweet, I don't care. But honestly, I don't I, – I would rather see the black homes because I like the black home jerseys, but it doesn't bother me. I thought they looked fine on Sunday. I think they look fine, you know, irregardless of when they're wearing it. And while I would like to see them wear the black jerseys – this is a marketing ploy to sell more jerseys. Okay, that's fine. And people saying, I, I did put out a post earlier that, yeah. that said they should wear their diagonals on the road. Yeah. I mean, I like both of their road jerseys, so I wouldn't have any issue with either of them. But I like the home jersey so much more than the gold thirds that I, I was a little peeved by when I saw that. The reverse retro thing might just be a contract situation where it's up. because yeah. And know. Adidas said that that's the end of an era, so they're not going to wear them next year. They're making new ones, I think. Or at least they're oh. supposed to. I don't remember. It, it was only one year to wear that one. Um, but then I heard rumors for a quick minute that they're going to try and do it every year or something mm-hmm. like that. Or at least next year. Don't know. Don't quote me on anything. But that being said, yeah. If if you were able to wear the reverse retro, I'm sure more teams would have been doing it first. Um, I mean, obviously, yeah. we, we wouldn't be able to tell if the Islanders were doing it. Um, but... I'm trying to think of who had sweet ones. Uh, you wouldn't want to see the Hurricanes doing it because that's different. I like the. I really like the Hurricanes home jersey that they're gonna be wearing. Their alternate black and gray thirds. And again, I, I think those sound, are nice. I like the jersey, but not for the playoffs. It's just gimmicky to me. Yeah. Oh well. I mean, you could have seen the Capitals do their reverse retro jerseys at home. That would have been cool. There, there, there's a lot of options for that, but the thing is, the Pittsburgh Penguins. I don't care what jersey they wear. Go win. And I said this to you and Doug. I said, listen, would it be strange if they raised the cup in those jerseys? I think it would be a really weird picture. I think it, it would, would be. be something I would have never imagined, and it would still feel a little off. But I don't care what jersey you're wearing. I don't care if you're wearing a SpongeBob SquarePants jersey. If you're raising the cup as a Pittsburgh Penguin, it does not matter to me. Go win it. That's that's all that matters at this point. You're, you're totally right about that. I mean, I don't care what – I don't care what jerseys they're wearing, but – um, I think I said it to you. Yeah, if let's imagine we win, we look back at it 10, 20 years later. Why are we wearing that? Yeah. Uh, it's. It, 
I don't know. It's not the worst situation. You know, it could be worse. We could literally be wearing our Vegas gold for some uh, reason. <laughs> yeah, just, just dust We could those be in off. blue. We could be in blue. That would be absolutely horrendous. <laughs> exactly. So uh, it's it's better than what it could be. I, I don't know. I just, it's, it feels gimmicky. I get you're trying to sell jerseys, and I get that um, this is the year you need to make more sales on things. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it's not the way to do it. Maybe you just, maybe you should have just been like, hey, Jeff Carter jerseys are on sale. Buy them all before they're gone because, hey, you know, he's the fan favorite now. I don't he, know. he he very much is. I got a text message in the middle of the game that says, "I have never been this invested. I haven't been this invested in a team in a while." And this is, you know, not verbatim, but I haven't been this invested in a team in a while. But now I love Jeff Carter and might get a jersey. And it's like, yeah, that's that's literally what this team and what he specifically has been doing. And he's just he's a fan favorite and hasn't had to say much to do it. But. Put a few drinks in me and I will be buying a Freddie Goudreau jersey. Oh boy. <laughs> Yeah, me me at the arena on Tuesday might be a little dangerous. We'll see how that goes, and I'm excited to report back <laughs> afterwards. That means, yeah. But again, uh, yeah, for the jerseys, I don't care, but I care. So, yep. I want to end it on one last thing. I know money is tight for the Pittsburgh Penguins right now. I know it is a year that is crunching down on the bottom line for every NHL team. But if we have to, and if we must, let's start a GoFundMe for the Pittsburgh Penguins to reupholster those Vegas gold seats and make them Pittsburgh gold because oh, yeah. it's been how many years now? And we're still sitting there with the Vegas gold seats in PPG Paints Arena. Yeah, but you know what was awesome? And let's be honest, it was kind of awesome. At least I thought it was. The orange from Civic Arena. Yeah, I, I, I don't think we need that back. I think that's something they, we can leave in the past, but definitely, and then, definitely and get they, rid of the Vegas gold. Yeah, and then when they said, "Hey, we need new seats for a cert, for a new uh, luxury section," they decided to make them blue. I, <laughs> you know, it, at least it's not that. But, that is very true. Uh, but there was some, there was something very fun about the orange seats. Yeah, but. That's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Are you sure you don't want to give a prediction for Tuesday's game or what? Yes, I'm sure. I just have a few notes to say on our way out. So. Okay, yeah, go for it then. Uh, first one. Uh, that did you did you see the Mark Andre Fleury stat? Which one? There's been a lot that oh, have yeah. been out lately. That um, he is the first goaltender to ever play in 15 consecutive playoffs. I did see that for. F- a lot of people saying for future Hall of Famer, Marc-Andre Abs- Fleury. Absolutely. And mm-hmm. uh, Vegas, you're welcome for 13 of those. Don't take full credit. <laughs> you, you've, you've been taking a lot of full credit for a lot of things he's done. I get it. He's your goalie. Um, he has his roots somewhere, though, especially whenever you're a team that's three years old and he's supplemented you for three playoffs. Congratulations. It is good on Fleury. They're three and three quarters, goddammit. <laughs> it's fair. You're right. But... No, good on Flurry. That's an incredible stat that... Ooh, is that one of those untouchable records? Actually, that's... It could be up there. It's pretty hard. Unless there's a goalie that's made it 14 and I don't know about it. Lundqvist? No, but... No, not Lundqvist. I'm sure Andre Vasilevsky will have something <laughs> to say about that in about a decade. You're right. That And on top of that, um, everyone don't lose hope, okay? This is just one game. I get we've said this three years in a row. It is just one game, but this one I have a little more hope for because 
like I said, I was at the bar watching the game. I got back into my car. I sat for a minute. Pull, as I'm pulling out, I'm not listening to anything on the radio. And I say, you know what? It's I've done my thinking. Flip the radio on. What is on but nothing else but uh, Journey's 1981 hit, Don't Stop Believing. And I said, you know what? You're right. I'm fine. It was one game. This isn't the same team as before. Um, and so I turned that shit all the way up. Probably annoyed the people around me at the red light and drove home happily. So we're here. We're one game in. We have at least three more to look forward to, right? Mm-hmm. At least it's more hockey coming our way. It's not one and done. This isn't the NFL, except the NFL starts on time. So we'll see how things go. 7.30 start time. Is it NBC again on Tuesday? I think it's NBC Sports. So like 7 so, so NBC Sports slash probably AT&T Sportsnet. So like a 7.30, 7.30, 8.30, 39 Yeah. Time. At um, least we don't have to wait a half hour. Yep, exactly. God. Yeah, so... We got stuff to look forward to. This team is better than what we are looking at right now. So keep the heads up. And like I said, don't and like Journey said and Steve Perry said, don't stop believing. Well, last postseason we had one episode where we got <laughs> to break down a game and then the series was over by the next episode. We will have a review of game two of the Penns Islander series on our Thursday episode and a preview of that night's game three so make sure you tune in for that and don't forget if the penguins win five to two you heard it here first but that's going to be it for this episode of the tip of the iceberg have a great week pens fans you can follow us on twitter at nick horwat 41 and at nick underscore berlansky you can also follow the show's twitter handle at iceberg podcast this podcast can be found anywhere you get your podcast from so please subscribe and rate us on apple podcasts We are brought to you by the Hockey Podcast Network. You can visit them on Twitter at HockeyPodNet or at thehockeypodcastnetwork.com. Every team, everywhere.